I could make a comeback to Rocky. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Uh, my name's Arthur White, this is Ian McDowell. And yeah, we are part of a small team called Tough Talk. And uh, I do want to thank the church for inviting us here. And we've had a, a great weekend. We had some good times with the kids on uh, Friday night. And yesterday out on the street, the rain was coming down and then it was sunshine and then it was raining, then it was sunshine and we got unpacked and the rain came down and eventually the sun shone for a little window and we stood out on the street somewhere in Exmouth and uh, we just shared the name of Jesus with people. It's great and it's great to be here in the church and it is a privilege for us. We, we had a few minutes prayer just before uh, and uh, a young lady here prayed for us that God would bless us and, uh, and I mean this very, very sincerely. It is a blessing for Ian and I to work with churches that have a great passion and love for Jesus uh, and that's what it's all about and we can only share with you uh, our love and our passion for Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ came into our lives and changed it drastically. Now Tough Talk is a registered Christian charity. I love saying that because I can't believe they give us charitable status. When we applied uh, about 17, 18 years ago, we decided to send in one of our books and uh, thought, well, that would give it a little bit of backing. But I realised that the book we'd sent in was about some drug addicts, some violent men. And I'm thinking, are they going to give us this? And praise God, they give us charitable status. And we said once we was out, we was out in the East End of London doing a meeting and uh, we'd finished the meet, and the, uh, they came up and gave us 40 quid. We'd never been given any money before. And we'd done this evening, we said, well, what are we going to do with 40 quid? And one of the guys in the team said, let's go for a Chinese. So we went and spent the 40 quid on a Chinese. But as we got to be uh, uh, known a bit more and we started travelling around, we decided to, as I say, form a charity, and Ian and I have been together now for about 21 years. We've travelled extensively around this country, extensively around the world, sharing what Jesus Christ has done. Our real love and probably our true ministry is in the prisons. We go in, we get 100 men at a time sitting there. We lift the weights. We talk about power lifting, which many of the guys enjoy. And then we tell them about Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, I really mean this again sincerely. If nothing else this morning, it is about Jesus. We stand here only by his love, his grace, his forgiveness. And uh, it's great to share that with you. Some of the things Ian and I will tell you and some of the things we talk about we're not proud of. I'm ashamed of a lot of the things I've done in my life. But hopefully it gives you an understanding of where we were, where we are and uh, a bit about the journey along the way. Um, outside on the foyer, we've got a few things for sale. Um, I love this as well. I love it when you get these international speakers stand up and say, we've just written our 17th book. <laughs> and this next book is going to be a series about Paul's letters and journeys. Well, we, we actually didn't even write this book. We had someone do it for us. We sat, sat down with some people. But there are a couple of books. There's one about Ian's life and my life. A bit more detail. Um, they're outside for sale. That's uh, uh, five quid. There's another one. Because um, we've got some other guys in the team. We thought we'll write their stories as well. Me and Ian are like that, you see. We like giving a bit of... And we said, what should we call the second book? Tough Talk 2. <laughs> Took some thinking, didn't it? So we've got Tough Talk 2 out there. There's another one called Christ the Bodybuilder. Ian did this, and it is really a good, good little book. Um, all the books are for Fiverr. There's some T-shirts for sale. 
Uh, there's uh, some forms out there if you feel you want to support us. I'm pretty sure you're a generous church and you do support a lot of people. And we've got a few New Testaments left. Are we going to give these away? Yeah, we might give these away. There's a few New Testaments out the back there. And uh, we had these printed a few years ago. And probably, in total, we've given away tens and tens of thousands of books and pres- and. Uh, Bibles. Even now, we send a, every year we send a number of Bibles and books into prisons. We give them out when we go into prison, and that's where really all our funds go to. And we can't think of a better gift than give to some people than the Word of God. So that's it. So we're going to start lifting. I've often thought, why do we do such a thing? If only Ian and I could play the guitar or sing to you, we would. <laughs> he sings like a draino. I dance like a scaffold ball. So. We do what we do. People have said, why do you lift weights? Well, that is us. All of us in the team have been involved in some form of powerlifting, bodybuilding. Ian was a bodybuilder. I was a powerlifter. You see a little bit uh, up there on the stage. I love watching that, whether you got bored or not. I don't know. My wife was totally bored. She's seen it so many times. And that was me in the past. That is what I did. This was my God. This is what I worship from being a young man. I wanted to train. I wanted to be the best. And, and, and that is what I did. Now, you can tell from my delicate tones, I don't come from this neck of the woods. And I certainly wasn't educated in Cambridge. I come out of the east end of London. I was brought up on a council estate in Essex. I lived there for 50 odd years. And then uh, 13 years ago, almost to this weekend, we moved down to Cornwall. And Jackie and I lived down uh, Cornwall. We're not too far away now. And... Uh, That was my roots. When I left school, I served an apprenticeship as a carpenter. When I finished my apprenticeship, I started to work for myself in the building industry. And I built a business up. We're ready to go. Ian's got his knee wraps on. We've got 60 kilos on the bar. Now, 60 kilos is about 130 pounds. 60 kilos is probably, it's very difficult to say weights. You know, I've got to be careful. This is about two or three refrigerators, probably. So if we could have some music, please, Mr. PA man. What we got? Here we go. I love a bit of Rocky. Ian McDowell's on the ball. 60 kilos. 130 pounds. Come on, Ian. Let's go. Looking good. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Nice and easy, Ian. Looking good. Come on. Woo. Give him a clap. He's got to do a lot more than that. Excellent stuff. Now, we're going to have a little competition, and it'll be for you guys, men, women, boys, girls, whoever wants to come up. It's just a bit of fun, but it'll be a bench press competition. You haven't got to do that. Tim's, yeah, Tim got pulled in yesterday. He got fourth place yesterday. Who knows? You might even get third today. (laughs) Who knows? It's only a bit of fun. We were speaking at an event once. And uh, one of the guys was lifting, and a gentleman come up on stage to say some words. He did ask, he said, could I just come up? And I thought it was a bit rude. You know, we're doing our bit, and this is no disrespect to the pastors or the leaders of the meetings. And I thought, it's a bit rude, this fellow wants to come up and say, and he leant on the bar. And I'm looking at this guy, and he was actually being quite complimentary towards us, and I thought, I recognise this fella. It was the Archbishop of Canterbury. And we're all standing behind him like this because I weren't too happy with him. And then they took a photo and they put it in the Guardian paper. 
So you've got George Carey leaning on the bar and we're standing behind him like his minders and we've got an article in the pay. We won Evangelist of the Year. Can you believe that? Yeah, we won the Evangelist of the Year. Long time ago, we won the Evangelist. And George, give us the prize. He gave us 500 quid. So we bought some nice new Bibles and we sent them off to the prison. So that was quite good fun. We've had wonderful experiences traveling, sharing what Jesus has done in our life. And uh, hopefully I can share a few more of those stories with you. But to continue uh, my story, uh, I'm, I'm married. There's my wife, Jackie. Um, we've been together since we met at 14. We was engaged at 17, married at 19. We've been together now for 47 years. Apart from a little hiccup in the middle, and I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. We've uh, got two children. And my daughter and son live in Cornwall as well, close to us. We've got two grandchildren as well. My business was building, and I worked hard at that. I had a good marriage. I had a good business. And I had a, a very successful sporting career. You saw that there. I won nine British titles, six European, four world titles. I was in the Guinness Book of Records, the Hall of Fame. Everything and everyone took second place to this, though. This was my God. I didn't go to church. I didn't know any Christians. Church to me was just a cold, damp, smelly place that I went to for the odd funeral or wedding. That's all I ever knew. I thought all Christian men were wimps anyway. Dodgy men wearing dodgy sandals. <laughs> Pastor's pretty cool. I was watching him this morning. I thought, he's a pretty cool. Got a nice pair of boots on and, you know, he looks all right, the pastor. <laughs> for a pastor, he looks all right anyway. And my idea of Christian ladies, and this is no disrespect, I'm just telling you how I thought, and this was my impression. I thought all Christian ladies, happy, clappy, tambourine bashing. Hallelujah, Jesus. And we said this story once at a big meeting. It was an open air. And the next people up on stage after us were a group of women playing the tambourines. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, they was all in great big long white frocks playing it. Oh, no. As Ian would often say, you've got to be careful what you tell people. But I'm just telling you the truth. And I mean that seriously. But that was my idea of church. I never went to church. This was my God. This is what I loved. Every, as I say, everyone, everything took second place to it. On the 12th of June, 1977, was the, my first British Championships. It was up in uh, Birmingham. I was living in Essex and my wife... Jackie accompanied me like she always does and still does. She still supports me as I travel around. She still even carries my bag as we travel around. It just never changes. And uh, we went to uh, the competition of my first British Championships. Jackie came along. Jackie was actually eight months pregnant. Every lady's had babies, don't they? Most ladies. What's, what's, what was the problem? Anyway, she travels with me up to Birmingham. I'm competing. I'm doing quite well in the competition. They called for the doctor, and I thought <coughs> it was one of the other competitors. It wasn't. It was Jackie. She went into labor, which at the time I thought was a little bit inconsiderate. <laughs> so we left the British Championships, drove down the M1, coming home. Jackie's complaining. She's getting cramped. I'm complaining because I was cramping. We turned off the motorway, found a hospital. She had the baby within five minutes. And I'm not exaggerating. She's a very fit lady. 
She had the baby in five minutes. I looked at my watch and thought, can I get back to Birmingham? I left my wife that night in uh, the hospital. I went home, told the in-laws, told the family. The following morning, everyone turns up because they want to see Jackie and the new baby. And I'd forgotten what hospital she was in. Now, there was no internet then. There was no mobile phones then. You didn't have the communication things we have today. I went to the hospital. I told our local hospital. I said, Jackie's had the baby. Lovely. Where is she? I said, I don't know. So they just sort of traced my roots back up the M1 and found every hospital till they found her. And we found her in Bedford General Hospital two days later. Wasn't the most popular of husbands. <laughs> Didn't go down too well. But I love my Jackie and I love my new baby. But this is what I wanted to do. This is what occupied my life. But as much as I loved it, it nearly destroyed me. We've got 100 kilos on the bar. Now, 100 kilos is... Actually, more than I weigh. I'm weighing about 85 kilos at the moment. So this is 100 kilos is actually 15 stone, 10 and three quarter pounds. I know that exactly. So this is quite a bit of weight. Come on in. Give some music, please. Give in a bit of support. Come on. Come in. Come on. Yep. Looking good. Come on. Looking good. Excellent. Come on. Give him a clap, please. You're in there. You're in there. Good stuff. Excellent stuff. Everything and say everyone took second place. This is what ruled my life, but it nearly destroyed my life. I was working hard, running a business. I was training hard because I wanted to compete more and more. And you cannot continually train. It's impossible. The body needs time to recuperate and rest and grow. Babies do not grow while they're running around. They rest and they grow when they're asleep. And that's a fact. You need to rest and recuperate. But I wanted to train every day. I believe I became addicted to this, to training. I wanted to be in the gym day after day after day. So I needed to find a way to fuel this. So I started taking uh, anabolic steroids. Do you know what anabolic steroids are? Performance-enhancing drugs, they call them uh, in sport. But in, in medical terms, if you're sick, had a bad accident, or you've been had operations, you will be prescribed some form of steroid because it helps the body recuperate. I started taking anabolic steroids. I started training harder and longer, but fatigue was setting in. I needed a little bit of a boost, a kick, and uh, energy drinks weren't around like they are today, and the protein drinks and everything else. So I started taking ephedrine. Ephedrine led me into sulf. Sulf led me into cocaine. I had a cocaine and steroid addiction that nearly ended my life. And when I say that, I'm not being melodramatic. I'm telling you the truth. I was competing in 1992 at the World Championships. And on this particular day, I won the European title, I won the world title, best lifter in Europe, second best lifter in the world. I broke British records, world records, Commonwealth records. And that night was probably the worst night of my life. I got pains in my chest. I'm thinking that hypertension. I went to see a doctor. He x-rayed my chest, showed my heart the size of a small football. He said, if you continue with your drug addiction, you will die. It will kill you. My drug addiction also led me into bouts of depression. 
And if you've ever suffered from that illness, it's not very pleasant. Bouts of depression led me into suicidal thoughts and there were a number of times I tried to take my own life. I tried to crash the car, cut my throat, overdose and drown myself. This was now the mess of my life. My drug addiction also changed my attitude. One of the side effects of steroids, it changes your psychological outlook on life. Any addiction will, whether you're addicted to television or even chocolate, it changes the way you think about life. I had an adulterous affair with a young woman. I left my wife, deserted my children. I was spending more time in the gym than I was outside. So I then lost my business. Everything I'd ever worked for, I lost in four years of madness. And as I say, I'm not telling you these stories to big myself up or to glamorize my life or even to upset anyone. I'm telling you the truth of my life. You need to know the depths that I went to. I was a kid off of a council estate who loved life. We had nothing in our lives as kids, but we loved life. I loved sport. I had a successful marriage and everything that came with that, a successful business and everything that came with that. And yet, my life was now spiralling out of control. I was running an illegal debt collecting business in the east end of London. 12-inch diver's knife strapped to my arm. 38 Beretta automatic in my pocket. Knuckle duster in this pocket. Two club hammers under the seat of my car, pickaxe handle in the boot of the car. I was living a violent life fueled by drugs. I was once a husband, a father, a businessman, a sportsman, a, a respected man. And I'm living now a life of violence fueled by drugs. And the only way I could see my life was death. I thought the only way it could end would be death. I would either be killed by someone or I certainly at times wanted to take my own life. I went to see a counsellor. It was a Christian man, and as I say, I never knew anything about God, didn't really want to go to church, didn't really think anything about it. But this man said something to me that has stuck with me ever since. He said, you need to choose. And it doesn't matter where you are in life, whether you're a granddad like myself, you're an old man, young man, rich man, poor man, woman, you need to choose. We have some serious choices at times. And I couldn't choose what shirt to put on that morning, more or less choose what to do in my life. He didn't preach at me, he didn't patronize me, he didn't talk down to me. He just said, Arthur, you need to choose. On a freezing cold March morning in 1993, I was in the east end of London. I'd been dead collecting all night long. And I stood in a car park there on my own. I wasn't in a lovely building like this with nice people and a nice bit of worship and some nice encouraging booklets and things to help people understand what life is about. I was on my own in a car park. And I just said, well, if there's such a thing as a God, come and sort me out. You ready, Ian? Come on then. Right, we've got 140 kilos on the bar. This is probably, uh, if you could stand up, young lady. Just stand up where you are. I'm going to ask you to do anything. You stand up as well, young lady. You stand up as well, young lady. You stand up as well, yeah. And you stand on your chair, young boy. That's it, we can all see you. This is probably, yeah, it might even be a few more. So sit down again. So this is getting a little bit heavy. Sunday morning, it's a pretty good training session. So have some music, please, for Ian. Coming in. Let's go. Ian McDowell. 
on the bar. Come on. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Head up. Go. Come on. Up. Awesome. And again. Come on. Up. Yes. Looking good. You're in there. You're in there. Come on. Give him a clap. That's good. Cornet. Excellent stuff. So that's the third time Ian's done that in the last couple of days. So that's good. One, oh, we've still got one more to go. I forgot about that. Yeah. This was now the desperate place I was in, on my own, in a car park. I remember standing there. I had a pair of trainers on, tracky bottoms. I had a singlet vest. I had a knife on my arm. If I would have been picked up that morning by the police, I would have ended up doing 14 years in prison just for what I was carrying. And I remember thinking, what a mess my life was in. The only good thing then was that I had a ponytail and a bit more barnet. <laughs> I wasn't a youngster. I was 42 years old. I wasn't a delinquent, didn't come from a bashed home or a violent place. I was now a mess. Now, there was no opening of the heavens, no booming voice or choir of an angels come fluttering down to me. But I did really want that to happen. I wanted to see something. But for a number of years, four years, my life was full of fear and paranoia. As big and as hard and as tough as I thought I was, I lived a permanent life of fear. And for the first time, I believe ever in my life, I just felt a peace. I stopped my drug addiction that night, which was a dangerous thing to do, but I did. I stopped the drugs that night. I turned from the life I was living. I started to go to church, started to pray, started to read my Bible. I continued debt collecting, but I used to take a white Jesus book round with me. <laughs> I'd go up to guys and say, fellas, I need to talk to you. Look, your name's in the book here. You owe me a couple of grand. I need to collect this. But here's something else for you. Here's a little white Jesus. I actually earned more money in the first six months of my Christian walk than I ever did before. I'm convinced they thought I was going to kill them all in the name of God. And there were some strange boys there. They needed a bit of Bible bashing, some of them fellas. I stopped my debt collecting. I turned from the life I was living. As I say, I started to go to church, started to read my Bible, started to pray. My life started to change. And this is the truth, ladies and gentlemen. This is the truth. Whether you believe is entirely up to you. And I'd like to think there's a few of us here that do believe. But if you do or do not, this is the truth though. From that moment I chose to call on God, a peace come upon me. The fear and the paranoia left me. My drug addiction stopped. It took a little bit of time, but it stopped. Jackie and I were apart for four years. We got remarried in 1993. I got baptized with my wife and my son in 1993. I now have everything that I need in my life. There's plenty of things I want. There's nothing wrong with that. I want pl there's plenty of things I want, but I have everything that I need. It hasn't been easy. I'd be lying to you if I said that my Christian walk and my Christian life has been easy. It hasn't been easy. It's hard. But the Bible doesn't tell us it's going to be easy. My life and my body is completely... But you see Ian squatting this morning. I'm glad I, 
Don't have to squat anymore. I can't squat. I've got two false knees. I've got a false hip. I'm like the bionic man. I've had eight operations on my legs. They've cut my legs in half. They rebuilt my legs, straightened them. Then they put false knees in them. Then they've given me a false hip. Operated on my shoulder a few years ago. I don't know how many times I've been in hospital. They've done work on my heart trying to keep me going. I'm a physical wreck. But you know, there is something beautiful and special about standing in God's strength. Because one of the things I found was that I no longer have to be the strongest. I don't have to be the best. I don't have to be first. I just have to be the son that God wants me to be to him. One of the beautiful things that I read in the Bible once was that I am adopted into his family. I am a co-heir to the throne of God. Co-heir to the throne of God. I'm just a scumbag off of a council estate. An horrible, horrible man. And yet Jesus so loved me, give his only son. I stand here, ladies and gentlemen, not in my own strength. I stand here because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into my life, turned my life around. And since 25 years ago, I haven't stopped telling people what Jesus has done. I'm not a preacher, a teacher. I don't even know what a gospel message truly is. I thought an epistle was married to an apostle. That's how much I know. And that takes some saying as well. If ever I get false teeth, I'm not going to say that one. I don't understand. But I understand this, that Jesus Christ came into my life and turned my life around. I had a choice. But it wasn't just enough to call on him. We have to make a conscious effort once we've made that choice. It's not about how I feel. I feel very tired. Let me tell you. I want to put my feet up. We was out the other night at a meeting. They told Ian and I, we're going on at quarter to 11 at night. I'm normally in bed at nine o'clock. I said, how am I going to keep awake? Another couple of cups of coffee. We went on, did a meeting in front of a thousand men. Jesus Christ came into my life, turned my life around. And I thank him every day for that. And I thank you for allowing us into your church. Thank you for listening. I'm going to hand you over to Ian. Excellent. So we are, um, we're going to uh, strip the bars out for a little bit of a bench press. I don't know if I should pick on you or not really, Tim. But uh, I'm looking for a couple of volunteers just to have a bit of fun at the end. Any, any couple of hands? Got one? No, you're pointing at someone else. Anyway, give it a thought for a minute. I'll take a couple of blokes, a couple of ladies. We're not too sure. It doesn't matter. So my name is Ian, and I'm part of Tough Talk, as you heard. And uh, it's a privilege for me to be here. It's unusual because Arthur and me, Arthur's with his wife Jackie. I'm with my wife Valerie. It's a, a great privilege to have them with us and traveling with us. Um, often we're on the road and we're leaving them behind. So it's lovely to have them with us this weekend. My, um, my sport was bodybuilding. I don't know if you've ever seen a bodybuilding competition before. But bodybuilders stand on stage with a little pair of swimming trunks. 
We used to call them posing briefs. I had a, a red pair, a blue pair for the finals. I had a shimmering silver pair of posing briefs. I put oil on my body, stand there with another load of blokes, and we'd be showing off our bodies. And uh, that was what I did as a sport. I really enjoyed it. And it was really my God, and it did destroy my life. Uh, my story will sound at times a lot like Arthur's. Um, I trained in the same gyms as Arthur's. I, I worked on the same door as Arthur. Um, and around the same time, although he was in his late 30s, early 40s, I was a young 20-year-old man working in East London on the clubs and pubs. I can remember um, training one day, and there was this fella. He was the scariest bloke I'd ever seen. Um, and uh, they used to call him Mad Dog. And this mad dog was bald with a chewed up face. And he looked at me and said, son, do you want to work with me on the door tonight? And I can remember looking at him thinking, not if I end up looking like you. <laughs> now, they used to call them bouncers years ago, didn't they? Now they call them door supervisors. Did you know that? And if you want to be a door supervisor today, you have to pass an exam. You get vetted by the police and uh, uh, you pay a bit of tax, national insurance and all that sort of stuff. And Mad Dog said, uh, Mad Dog said, do you want to work with me? I thought, not really. He said, I'll give you a double bubble, son. Someone's let me down, double the money to come and work with me. And I thought, I'll do one shift and I'll call it a day. I went to work with this fella. It was a Christmas Eve. He picked me up from the gym. He took me down to this boozer in Roman Road, East London. We pulled up. And, and now they have to pass something called a conflict management training. But this guy's looked at me, and I, I, I can remember he quickly pulled out a small rounder's back, like a little cosh from under his seat. I think he felt sorry for me. He said, here, son, stick this in your jacket. You might need it later. And he handed me this truncheon thing. I put it in my coat. I thought, what have I got myself into? I thought, that's my conflict management training, maybe. I don't know, but... He said, come up here, I'll introduce you to the fellas you're working with. We went up the door, he says, here's Dave the bus and one-eyed Mark. <laughs> and I worked with Mad Dog, Dave the bus, one-eyed Mark for a long time, never knew anything more about these fellas. And it was a kind of a strange world, the door work back in those days. And I'm ashamed to say, as Arthur already said, I got involved in a lot of violence and crime. I took the anabolic steroids, I abused the drug, I ended up in hospital, not proud of any of that stuff, that's the truth. I can remember um, uh, one day a friend of mine, he said, uh, he said, Ian, he said, uh, if you really want some good stuff, you need to get on the animal steroids. And I thought, that's handy, because at the time I was living uh, in Forest Gate, East London, near the best football club of the, of the country, West Ham United. <laughs> Nothing. Not even, a, not even a whimper, Arthur. I mean, I'm living next to Upton Park, and, uh, and, and beneath me is a veterinary surgery. And I, thinking, I thought, that's handy. I remember breaking into the surgery, helping myself to the animal steroids. And I would read on the label, one mil a week for a horse. One mil a week for a horse, I would use five to ten mils of this animal steroid a day in my body. Five, one mil a week for a horse. I never won the Mr. Olympia, but I won the Grand National twice. <laughs> Do you like that? Yeah. I, I said that once in a church, and they all started clapping me. I think they, they thought I won the Grand National. I don't know. I did, I did take those animal steroids. I ended up in hospital and my body was being destroyed from the abuse of anabolic steroids. That's the truth. I became an angry, violent young man. One night, I'm working in this club in a place called Ilford. You'd know Ilford. And uh, it was called the Paddy. I reckon you're too young for the Paddy, though. Do you remember the Paddy? No, he's too young. So I'm working in this place called the Ilford Paddy and a fight broke out with us and another group of doormen. 
I ended up getting squirted with ammonia in my face. I took a bit of a beating that night and ended up in hospital. And one of my colleagues, his name was Ez Catel, had a pickaxe handle smashed across his head, caved in his skull, in his jaw, and uh, he nearly passed, he nearly left this earth that day. He nearly died that day, and they operated on him. They ended up putting metal plates all around his head to support his eye socket. He lost, had partial sight in his eye after this. They damaged all the retina at the back. Jaw was wide open, that's a wire up his jaw. And uh, Ez and myself, we used to do a little bit of debt collecting during the day. And it wasn't regulated by the Office of Air Trade and all that sort of stuff. It was a, a strange kind of thing we was in. And, uh, I, and I was trying to get hold of him a few weeks after the fight, after the incident. I got out of hospital, he'd got out of hospital, and he wasn't answering his phone. And back in those days, there was no Snapchat, Instagram, or anything like that. If someone didn't answer their phone, you used to have to go and knock on the door. Does anyone remember ringing doorbells and things? So I'm knocking on his door a few, probably about four weeks after the fight. He took me upstairs, and I wanted to talk about business. I wasn't really interested in him. We had some jobs to do, work to do. Ez was selling a lot of guns in East London as, as well at the time, and he was a nasty bit of work, that's the truth. And we're sitting in his front room. He had the blinds drawn, and he was sitting in darkness. And he's sitting there. I'm thinking, why is it so dark in here? What's the matter with you, mate? But he's sitting there starting to tell me about the agony he was in. He said, every time I stand up here, my head is, is, is pounding. He said, I can't see out of my eye properly. If I chew, I can't chew on food. I'm non-liquid food. He said, I don't want to walk outside that door. My head is like glass. He said, life doesn't seem worth living. He said, I'm in a mess. And he did something I wasn't expecting. He just suddenly broke down and started to cry. Now, I'm not a comforting, counselling sort of a bloke, you know. I, I didn't know what to do with this guy. I'd never make a pastor, that's the truth. I'm not a nice bloke, really. And uh, I can remember looking at him thinking, what do I say to this guy? I want you to say something. And I found words coming out of my mouth. At the time, I wasn't sure quite where they were coming from. But I found myself saying this to him. I said, Ez, why don't you come to church with me? I thought, what was that? <laughs> He's looking at me. He's going, church Churchy and ain't I got enough problems as it is? What are you talking about church for? I said, please. I said, look, don't think I've joined the God Squad or anything like that and, uh, and I've become a Christian. But recently, I'm panicking really. I'm, I didn't want to be associated with Christians or anything like that. I said, recently, I had these dreams as about God. And this God was like lightning. And, 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 and I told a pal on the door, his name was Marcus, and he took me to this church in Canyon Town, East London. And I said, while I was there, at the end of this meeting, they were praying for people that were sick. They were calling people up the front. I thought they were like healers or something. To be honest with you, I'm going to be truthful with you, I didn't like the church. I didn't like the people. They seemed too happy at 10.30 in the morning. What's wrong with these people? They all looked a bit brainwashed. I didn't know what was going on. The music, I couldn't stand it. I wanted to run out of there. I was pleased the service ended. I never really planned to go back again. It was an Elim church. Assemblies of God, this one, ain't yeah. yeah. And I made a vow. I wasn't going to go back to this church. And I'm telling this guy all about this experience, about how there's healers at this place. And maybe you should get yourself down that it might be able to help you. A couple of nights passed. I'm a head dorm in a club out in North London. I'm standing on the door. I can't pull up. My pal gets out the passenger side of the car. Comes over and says, yeah, I need to talk to you. And we went around the corner of this bar. And we were talking about revenge. We were talking about getting these fellas shot that had been involved in this with us. And uh, out of the blue, he broke down again. He said, Ian, the reason I'm really here... He said, it's, my life is so bad. He said, it's suicide or church. That's how hard it is in East London <laughs> for men to get to church. 
suicide or church? I said, Ez, if it's that bad, I'll take you there myself. I thought, why did I say that? He said, yeah, please. I picked him up on the Sunday morning and uh, took him to this place in Canning Town, East London. Does anyone know Canning Town? You do. It's where they used to put padlocks on their dustbins, didn't they? You know what I'm talking about. Not the sort of place you find a church, I thought. But we walked into this place. It met in a school building. And there, were, there we were singing and happy. Everyone was happy. And uh, I didn't feel comfortable. And I can remember at the end of the meeting, the healers didn't arrive. There was no praying this particular morning. And uh, they were just giving us cups of coffee. And uh, I'm looking at Ayers thinking I've, uh, maybe he's thought I've led him down a dodgy path or something. But um, we're having a cup of coffee. And these two fellas got around us. One of them was called Tony Sapriani. And Tony said, we're going to a meeting on Wednesday night. Would you boys like to come with us? And I thought to myself, church twice? In one week, did they do that? Haven't they had enough yet? Surely if there's a God, they've made him happy now. That was my thinking. But my powers went, yeah, I'll come. I'll have some of that. And I remember thinking, you take him. I've had enough. He was crying on the way down here. I've had enough of this guy. And plus, I was working that night anyway, so I had a good excuse. They went to this meeting. I had a telephone call about 4 o'clock in the morning. It was Ez Cato. Ez is saying to me, Ian, Ian, he said, Jesus has healed me. And I can remember thinking he had a little bit too much rum. I thought he's had a bit too much to drink. He'll be all right in the morning. I, put, I said, yeah, I'll come see him tomorrow. I'll put the phone down. I went around his place that day, and he started to tell me this story. Now, first of all, I was shocked by his appearance. He had a smile on his face. And the, day, the couple of days before when I seen him, his head was swollen and his eye was small. But he looked quite normal. He took me upstairs smiling and telling me this story about how they went to this church. I found out it was called Kensington Temple down in Notting Hill Gate. And they went from East London on the Gansill Central Line all the way to West London. And I, he told me, these boys were having a go at me. They were saying to me, God is real. And he's able to help you. He's able to heal you. But you need to forgive the people that have done this to you. He said, forgive them. I can't forgive them. You don't know what they've done. They've wrecked my life. But he said to me, and just before I went to walk into this church, I looked up and thought, God, if you're really there and you can help me, I forgive the fellas that did this to me. He said, I went and sat in the back of this church. He said, there was an American guy. I found out also his name was Charles Slagle. He said, he pointed to me. The place was packed. It was like a thousand people. He pointed to me, got me to stand up, and he started to tell me about the fight. He started to tell me about the injuries and the pain I was in. He said, at this point, he said, I thought that Marcus or Tony had slipped him a few quid. So I said, I know it's a caper. I know it's a scam. Something's going on here. He said, but then he said to me, he said, Ian, he said, the fella said, he said, son, receive your healing now in Jesus' name. He said, they got me to stand up. He's six foot four, this fella standing. He said, I started to shake. He said, I felt heat rushing through my body. He said, people started putting their hands on me and kind of praying, I think, over me. He said, I felt like electricity going through me. I felt a tingling in my eye, a tingling in my jaw. He said, look, I can see. Look, my teeth are together. You could probably have put your little finger between the bottom part of his teeth. He said, look, I've been healed by Jesus. Now, people would often say seeing is believing if I could see something I would believe it and for me it wasn't true I looked at him and I thought I can't have none of this there's no such thing as God and he doesn't heal people and I can remember getting angry by this I got angry by it. my reaction was bad and negative I said listen I'm gonna go and I left that place and it got worse for me because Ez went around telling my pals Ian took me to church <laughs> and Jesus healed me I says, as I pulled him aside, I said, it's really good for you, but please keep me out of the story. People were coming up saying, Ian, what's all that church business about? No one was worried about the healing, just church. 
I can remember being embarrassed to be connected with Christianity and Christians. And I remember telling this fellow, stop telling the story. He's never stopped. He's even written a book called I'm Asking You Nicely. Got a big picture of his face on the front and it's all about this story. I couldn't get it out of my mind. It started to torment me. I couldn't get God out of my mind. The dreams I'd had. A fellow got shot a few weeks after this and died in front of us on the door. And I can remember I had this fear of death. And I'm driving home one night. I was out on bail at a charge of violence and disorder hanging over my head. I was an angry, violent, and an horrible bloke. And I'm sitting in a car, and I just had a fight with some fellas. I've got a, 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 I used to have fear at night. I used to sleep with a carving knife under my pillow. Out of fear, who was coming through my door. Living like that is full of fear and paranoia. And I remember sitting in the, that car that night. And I started to think about my powers. And I remember saying, God, if you're real, could you sort me out? Could you help me? And I can remember suddenly feeling guilty for the fight I'd just been involved in. And I said, Jesus, would you forgive me for what I've just done? Forgive me for who I am. And as I said that to myself or said it to God, I just suddenly felt this incredible sense of peace and love as if I was going to be all right. I felt a tingling all over my body. I went home that night and I had a miracle. I fell asleep. I woke up the next day and I felt peaceful. I believe that God is a spirit and the spirit of God touched my life that night. I don't understand it all. We're not clever men or theologians or anything like that. But I believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He's able to heal. He's able to deliver. He's able to set people free. I went to church after that event, that same church that I couldn't stand. I walked in and I thought, actually, everyone looks all right. Are they different? Everything seemed different. Even the music that previously I hated, I started to enjoy it. It's amazing. I didn't understand it was a spiritual thing that was making me want to run out of that door. But God is a spirit and he touched my life and I believe I became born again. I felt this incredible sense of peace as if everything was going to be over and all right, everything was going to be all right. Before we have the competition, I'm going to finish with a quick story and we're going to pray. I think we'll do that. Arthur and me are out in South Africa. Where's that South African fellow I was talking to you before? Where is he? Is he still, he's here somewhere. There, is it? No, there was another fellow, prison officer. There's someone, where's the, he's at the back there. He's hiding from me. And we were talking about the prisons out in South Africa, weren't we? And the numbers gangs. Remember, we was talking about that. So Arthur and me are working out in South Africa with these numbers gangs. And uh, uh, one of these fellows, one afternoon, we're doing a questions and answers. And, and, and the prisons out there, particularly these number gangs prisons, he said, I must have gone to all the bad ones. They were terrible places. And this particular fella is sitting at the front, and he says, I've got a question. And I said, please fire the question. He said, he said, I want to become a Christian. And I can remember thinking, that's a good question. I said, great, it was going well. He said, but if I become a, he said, if I become a Christian, if I ask you, because he said, I'm a bad man, and I believe in a heaven, I believe in a hell, I believe I'm going to hell, I want Jesus in my life. He said, but if I become a Christian, I may not be alive in the morning. I said, that's a bit serious, mate, why is that? He said, I run the numbers gang in this prison. And he said, if I become a Christian and renounce the gang and go that way, he said, he said this, he said, this, he said I will probably not survive the night. What have you got to say to that? And I can remember looking at him thinking, I don't know what to say. I want him to be a Christian, but I don't want him to die. Do I? What do I say? And I didn't know, I don't know what. My old mate Arthur said, Ian, do you mind if I answer that question? I said, please do, Arthur. Off you go, go on. 
And he stepped forward, he says, son, now Arthur just told you about the mess of his body. And I'm telling you, I've been with him 20 years and it's been decaying. Now, bless your brother a bit. It's all over the place. It has three art, he's had two or three art operations. And he's standing there telling his fellow all about his body and the fact that he's got this problem with his heart. He said, I shouldn't drive. I've been told not to drive, not to fly. I shouldn't be on this trip. I could die at any time. I have a 50% chance of dying from a stroke or a heart attack. I'm having an operation on my heart when I go back. I could die during that operation. In fact, I think he's still waiting for another operation. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. He is. So he's, he's, he looks healthy. You're still standing, brother. You're doing well, mate. The Lord's keeping him up. He said, I could die at any time. He said, but son, I believe I'm in a win-win situation. He said, because if I live, I'm going to be with the Lord. And if I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. It's better to be with the Lord, he said. He said, we're all living in bodies that are going to pass from this earth. Everyone's body is going to decay and we're going to stand before our creator and give an account of our life. And I will declare about what Jesus done on the cross for me. He shed his blood and rose again that we may have eternal life. Those fellas prayed, bowed their head. In fact, the whole of that group bowed their head and this fellow joined in with them and asked Jesus Christ into his life. I believe God is the God of the living. That fellow is alive in whatever way. I believe it with all my heart. I believe there's an eternal life. I believe that life is in his son. His son is Jesus Christ who died upon the cross and rose again. The Bible says everyone's made mistakes. None of us are perfect before our holy God. The holiness of God cannot tolerate sin. But Jesus Christ died upon the cross. That when we call upon him, his spirit touches our hearts. That when God's holiness looks into our hearts, he sees his son that's now cleansed us. And he's now paid the price. He is the spirit that refreshes and cleans us from within. We're accepted, as Arthur said, adopted into his family. Not by any good works we can boast because of God's grace and love and mercy. There's repentance of turning away from your sins. There's a cross and there's the Spirit of God. People, before we do this quick competition, we're going to bow our heads and pray. I don't know where you guys are at today. I'm not sure the journey you're on, but I do believe God's eyes roam to and fro across this world, searching the hearts of minds in each and every one of us. The Bible tells me the soul that sins descends into utter darkness. There's a way that seems right to man, but its path leads to death and destruction. The wages of sin is death. The good news is this, that God so loved this world, he gave his only begotten son. Whomever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible tells me that God demonstrated his love for us, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't know him as as the way we've been talking about him tonight, that relationship in your heart, that way he is with us, how he's forgiven you, how you have a peace with your maker, how you no longer have that fear of death. Jesus conquered that fear. We have eternal life, and it's an assurance and a guarantee, and you feel it in the sense of your soul. If that is you today, you know you're not perfect. You've made mistakes. You've lied. You've stolen. You've cheated. You've done things, and you've broken God's commandments. Now is the time. Behold, now is the acceptable moment. Get right with God this morning, I pray. Pray this prayer in your heart, and at the end, we're going to say the amen. Pray this prayer if you know you're lost. Even if you call yourself a Christian and you're just not sure, of your eternal destiny. You're not sure if you have that peace. There's a fear and of unbelief. Pray in your heart. The end will say amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross and rose again. Forgive us of the things we do that we thought were just normal human behavior. Fill our hearts with your love and your peace. 
Fill our hearts with your compassion, your grace. Give us strength to turn away from the things that are wrong. Give us strength and joy to live a, a peaceful life. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I pray this for these people and for myself in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.